off. Cody, welcome. I think this is back to the show. You were pitched on our WGN show way back when. Yeah. But I don't think you've been on the pod, right? Three years ago. And I think I was in Mexico when I did that call. So I was terrified that the call was just going to drop. I was on a bachelor party. I didn't disclose that when we did it. <laughs> you know what? I might have been on a bachelor party myself while I was recording yeah. it. So I, I can't complain. <laughs> um, I'm excited about this episode for a handful of reasons. Personally, uh, my wife never listens to any of my shows, which is why I'm able to talk about our relationship on the show. Uh, in this particular case, she's probably going to listen to this one uh, because we've been talking about it as a family with now two young kids um, in a house and everything is just changing. I own businesses, there's equity, there's all kinds of stuff. Um, I invest in all kinds of collectibles and I've got assets scattered all about. Um, it's time for a will. And every time it comes up in our house, I always say will and trust or trust and will. Sorry, don't want to screw up. Um, trusted will, uh, is where we're going to do it. And she was like, Oh, are we sure it's online? And I was like, trust me, this is the best. Like they pitched. I was, I invested in this company when they were on Republic, which we'll get into as well. Um, and it, you know, like at the end of the day, like to me, it's the simplest process. I've gone through, uh, wills before I've gone through the process of being in our family trust, which was designed by originally by an attorney who since long passed away when my grandfather set it up. And then to my parents, we hired another attorney. The process was awful. And it's no offense to the attorney. They did the best that they could. It is just awful. Um, it's a, for those listening who are of the age that you're getting into this. And obviously, uh, Cody, you know this even better, far better than I will. So you feel free to chime in anywhere. I'm not accurate. The process of like, you think you've had a conversation with your spouse or your significant other, whatever, about what you want, what you expect, where things are, all this kind of stuff. What's like the last you know, last rites and everything you want to do. And then it turns out usually that that conversation isn't a hundred percent accurate. Like I kind of gave you like the best version of this that I thought you would accept. Um, and then you get to the lawyers and they kind of put you in two different rooms. And they ask you a bunch of different things and they don't quite go together. And then you leave with like a quiet ride back in the car as one of you sort of like, I'm sorry, what? And, you know, it turns into a thing. Trust and will what has has to me has been the most amazing part of it is you open up our phone. I've done most of it on the phone. I recommend probably laptop or desktop, but did it on the phone to get started. And he sit with my wife and like, we literally hammered through the stuff right in real time. There was almost a cathartic feeling of mm -hmm. like, man, we're more organized than I even thought we were. You know, I think this is something that I want to get into in particular with you about what you guys do. That's so different. And then why you actually decided to build this company. Yeah. And then after that, we're going to go down this whole path about uh, you, you guys, one of the first real, I say real companies, one of the first like really, I think, uh, venture backable companies to go through equity crowdfunding. This is before VCs and people would even acknowledge this as a real thing. Um, and even in doing that, you were fairly innovative in how you did it. And it was a, a topic that I think confused some novice investors. And, and in my personal opinion, I think it was like one of the reasons that I like crowdfunding, but also one of the reasons that I still like kind of poke holes in it because the sophistication level maybe is not where it should be. So we're going to go down a whole bunch of stuff here. But before we do any of that, why don't you give the audience a one minute version, two minute, how, I mean, it's your pod, man. You could take as long as you want um, version of what trust and will is. And, and maybe if you could sprinkle in because the audience is tends to skew like a little younger, like sometimes they haven't even thought of what a will looks like. They're in immortal yeah, yeah, yeah. as far as yeah. they know. 
Yeah, Scott, it's uh, great to be here and I appreciate the, the invite. And uh, yeah, for the audience, my name is Cody Barbo. I'm the co-founder and CEO of Trust and Will. I've been an entrepreneur for the last 10 years. That's my third startup, second venture-backed business. First startup was a total flop. Put my, at the time, life savings into it. It was fun, it was exciting. We were in San Diego, California. I wish we had just moved up to the Bay Area and just went and knocked on doors on Sand Hill Road and probably would have been a different outcome. But it was, it was fun. And it was in the you know, 2010, 11 through 2013. And my second startup uh, industry was kind of a LinkedIn for hospitality. And I had worked in fine dining. We'd raised millions of dollars, but had a fallout with a, a bad investor and a co-founder. And I was effectively fired from that company. And I have a LinkedIn post that I, I wrote in kind of highlighting the things that I really loved about it, but lessons learned. Yep. And in, that was you know, end of 20 or mid 2017. And in this kind of two month transition of starting what is now Trust and Will, I didn't know if I wanted to work on another startup. I was about to get married and had a bunch of things on my mind like salary and providing for a family or a future family. And in a weird way, that is what led to uh, Trust and Will. My, my wife and I had sat down and before we got married and we're like, hey, we've never really talked about finances. We've never talked about taxes and do we need life insurance? Like, do we need a will? And it came to me going and talking to a couple attorneys and getting quotes for three to $5,000. And I was like, what's the difference between the three and $5,000 estate plan? It's like a car at two different dealerships. Like it's the same thing. It's just their better, thicker stock paper is what I'm told. Yeah, yeah, thicker stock paper, exactly. And I also was like, I don't think my situation, our situation is very complex. Like we're getting married, we don't own a home, we don't have kids. We do care about our assets and especially our digital assets. At the time I'd made some good money in crypto and NFT, I don't even think NFTs were really a thing yet at all. Yeah. Uh, maybe maybe CryptoPunks is like maybe the one exception or what was the Exploding Kittens? Is that the first one? Yeah, Crypt that was, crypto yeah. Yep, yep. yeah. Crypto so, dating myself now. Um, but like, but I did care. Like if something happened to me, I want my wife to have access to everything and get everything I own and to be able to make decisions on my behalf if I'm incapacitated, I wanted to choose you know, burial versus cremation. And these are things that an estate plan dictates. And now fast forward, married, I got a kid, we got a home, protecting these assets and being able to choose who can make decisions, decisions on your behalf really become important and top of mind. And do you want to decide or do you want the government to decide for you? Like stuff like this should be yeah. top of mind. So more so than my own personal situation, I started looking in this space with my co-founders, Daniel and Brian, good friends for almost eight years now. And all of us are married with kids. And we realized half the population doesn't have an estate plan. Nobody can talk about this confidently. Even wealthy people oftentimes don't have an estate no. plan. And we went and talked to our own parents about it. And luckily my parents had one, but they'd never brought it up with my brother and I, even though we're both named in it, split everything 50-50 down the middle. And they're getting older. And I'm like, at some point, we're gonna have to step in and carry out this estate and distribute those wealth and assets and I was like, who do I call? I was like, is your attorney alive? Is your advisor alive? Like, I was just like very uncomfortable. Who questions. wrote this? Yeah, you're, and it's like, of course, like three ring binder, hundreds oh, of yeah. Next like, to like up. a grandma stew recipe. Yeah, it's like, like, it's like, kind of like the pen and quill. I was yeah. like, what, is, what, <laughs> what decade was this made in? But anyways, in all seriousness. Roughly about a week after your birth. A week, a week yeah, 30 years ago, yeah. So it sparked. What became early conversations for Trust and More, like what if we went and got and build a kind of TurboTax for estate planning? Yep. Half the population doesn't have this, the other half that does needs to update their documents. So how do we make this easy, affordable, inclusive? And that's what we started uh, you know, late 2017. We incorporated three co-founders with an idea. We raised some angel money, got into Techstars, launched product, 
And then for the last four years, we've been building. And now we've helped 350,000 families start this process in all 50 states. We've managed to build a best-in-class customer experience. People have really high-touch support, human support, yep. even though we're a tech company. And we're the preferred or exclusive estate planning partner for SoFi, Acorns, big banks, credit unions, life insurance companies. And that's because we've built a really great product experience with high-touch customer support. How did you, just before we jump into this a little more, how, how did you start getting the partnership stuff going? Because I feel like that as a tech company and a, you know, we have a B2B arm of, of my other company, Songfinch, and it's like the guys yeah. who started Songfinch originally, their whole background was in B2B. So it's pretty easy for them to make a couple calls and get some business going. But there is, like, there used to be, even like a couple of years ago, this belief that like, oh man, sexy startups like tech, Big Corps kind of loved it and then realized it was like impossible to actually work with startups for a myriad of reasons. Yeah, yeah. You're working on like financial areas. Like I'm curious, how, what was the first step in? How do you get a SoFi and like I, Acorns I kind of get and Betterments and those, but like how do you get those groups to to bite on something like this? Kind of like a multi-pronged approach. So I was, I was doing most of our partnerships until they started to move in the direction towards contracting, et cetera. Yep. Then I'd pull in some folks on our team, but like we were like six, seven people the first year. And even yeah. through our series A, we closed our series A in, in fall of 2019, we we're 10 people, we we're a small team. So we didn't have anybody doing partnerships other than myself. So for me, master networker on LinkedIn, like always- You do crush on LinkedIn, my friend, I have to tell you. But like seriously though, like looking for opportunities to put our name out there, to give context. Like when I'm reaching out to someone on LinkedIn, I always have personal context. And what I was looking for were companies that talked about estate planning on their website, but didn't point their customers in any direction. So life insurance companies, banks, credit unions, some fintechs, yep. and they'd have all these content articles on their Learn Center, or the, the financial advisor, or the head of planning would be like, oh, everybody needs an estate plan, but they didn't point you anywhere. Like, go figure it out. You need this thing, it's so important, but just go figure it out. So kind of um, by design, going top down, I always tried to connect with the CEO or the highest C-suite or director at these companies. Because yep. if you get an email, if I get an email sometimes, nice thing when you have 90 people now, and they're asking for a marketing opportunity or a partnerships opportunity, I can just forward the email to that person on my team. Yep. And at big companies, if you get an email from the CEO, you better damn respond to that email. So right. that worked in our favor for a ton of big banks, credit unions, fintechs, and when we actually met with the decision makers, the person who was the gatekeeper to the opportunity, we did give them a really polished pitch that took weeks, months, or in some cases, years to get them live. But that relentless persistence and patience has paid off for us many years later. It makes total sense. I think, you know, as we start looking at the, the business in general, I want to go back in time and then we'll make ourselves back, back to mm -hmm. the, the current state. I do think it's important to note that a lot of people, and you mentioned it, even wealthy people do not have this. I also think that a lot of people don't realize what happens when you like die without a trust, without a will or without anything. Like, I, I think they just think it's like, Oh, like, I don't know. We're in Chicago. So, or, you know, the governor's going to come in and he's going to say, this is this and this is it. And they split away. Like yeah, that's Chris not how this goes. Yeah, Chris Chris has a very buttoned up a state plan guaranteed. I, I suspect yeah. I would think that yeah. it's, they, they probably have to update that on a daily basis. They go on trust and will and they just slide a couple things over. Yeah, no, no, they're not, they're not, they're, they're too complex for trust and will. <laughs> but no, it's, I, I don't think people recognize like how difficult it actually is and how complicated it can be. And I, so like, this is where I'm going to start going backwards. Like I had, ex, you know, basic experience with this, with my own family, not my immediate family now, but like as a child, like going mm -hmm. through this with grandparents and so forth. Yeah. And 
I had just gotten connected with Ken Wynn. He was launching Republic. We were doing this partnership with Technorion on stage where the companies would pitch. A handful of companies had kind of been pre-vetted. Yeah. I made a handful of investments in them, like tiny amount, just basically enough to cover their travel, <laughs> like to yeah. come, come down. Yeah. And I was just starting to dig in. And like I'd gone through, I don't know, let's say 20 companies or so. And then Trust and Will pops up. And I remember reading this. And at the time, it was like, it's not as fancy as the investment pages are now. It was more of just like upload your deck and like here's yeah, the terms yeah. and so forth and some perks, yeah. um, which I still never actually took advantage of my perk, but that's a, that's a different story. That, that, that perk and that code last forever. Just ping me. I got you. Oh, I got to find that thing. The, the yeah. Yeah, cash don't, don't plan. yeah. Amazing. Um, yeah. So I just remember looking at this and going, my, I'm not kidding. Like, I'm not saying that because you're like on the show. Like my head exploded. It was, I had been listening to pitches for a handful of years. There's been maybe five companies up to that point. When I heard the pitch, my head was like, boom, inevitable, totally get it. Plan makes sense. There's acquirers at almost every stage of your business. Should you decide or should you find some resistance? Like if not massive, massive business that is like, like death and taxes and you're in both. Like, yeah, this is the best business in the world to be in because the taxes never end and people never stop dying. So, yeah. like, it's a, it's a perfect business. And I literally, I, I still to this day, when I tell this story to people like, oh, what's equity crowdfunding and how to get it? Every single one of my uh, speeches or talks or show, whatever, anything I do, anytime anyone asks me anything, it always starts with trust and will because it was the first, for me at the time, 500 bucks, I think it was 500 or 1,000, I can't recall. Mm -hmm. It was, like, meaningful. Like, I, had, I didn't have anything, man. I was, like like every other founder, like I was leveraged to, to the hilt. Yeah. So for me to put like 500 or a thousand bucks on a bet was a big deal. And I picked you guys and I put the money down. I was like, this is to me like the most incredible thing. And I remember telling a bunch of people like it was investors, angels, whatever about you guys. And this is like, what is this? 2016, 17, something like no, that. No, this is, uh, we launched that campaign in 2019. It was January of 2019 because we just announced our seed round and there is a delay on the taping for Meet the Drapers. That's yeah. why it was supposed to go live, I think, as far back as like September of 18. Yeah, I don't know why I thought it was, it was earlier than that, but like, yeah. Re regardless of the timeline on it, I remember talking in the early days of this with a bunch of VCs and they would always complain about all the different, like the, the limitations that it provided you guys. I just remember however the timeline worked out that I specifically cited that you guys had used the ability to buy back the shares at a premium mm -hmm. as proof positive that this is like the most founder friendly way to go about cap raise, especially at the stage you were at, it was like pre A that there is. And now like fast forward and you can talk a little bit about like what the round did and how you, why you chose to do this and so forth. But I guess the main thing I think is like what, you guys have built with this company, how you used crowdfunding and particularly like how nuanced your use case was, I actually think is one of the pillars of crowdfunding actually making its way into a mainstream. I think your company's success after that round is something that a lot of people have looked, particularly like more sophisticated investors and accredited investors have looked at as like, why should I pay attention to these companies? Because if one out of a hundred of them is a trust and will, like I should be here. I should be mm -hmm. making bets. Yeah. And so I, I think you, I don't know if you're aware of this, but you should be given some sort of credit on this. Cause I, I think you guys have been one of the more uh, notable success stories out of, out of reg CF that I can think of. I appreciate that. Yeah. We, we had the opportunity to film with meet the Drapers in summer of 2018. 
it was originally supposed to air that fall, which is when we were raising our seed round. So we raised yep. a $2 million seed. And then there is, I, I forget what the reasoning for it was, but it didn't go live until like January. So we announced the seed round, then the crowdfunding campaign went live, but we didn't need the money. So we're like, well, let's just see what the organic investment flows in. We hit our minimum goal almost immediately. And I think we ultimately raised like a little over 200K, almost 250 from about 350 investors. The minimum was $250. I think we had a couple 25Ks and everything in between there. Yep. And when we um, finished the window, we closed out the campaign. Um, we sent out all these perks, like free estate plans. So please don't pay for yours. I got you, Scott. Uh, we sent out, I don't think we did t-shirts. We did like a whole bunch of like really nice perks for the stage of company we were, we're still small. I'm literally, I'm pulling up the deal right here on my Republic as we're talking right now. Yeah, so it, and it was- yeah, you're it right, was really May 1st, my campaign closed for us on May 1st, 2019, you're right. So we brought on uh, 350-ish um, new investors to the cap table and it basically, and from the start, we, we designed in the investment documents from the start, we had a, a clause or a call out that we could do a, a share repurchase or share buyback. Um, so it, we didn't think of concern when we put that in there because it was intentional. And we also, yeah. um, we did facilitate a buyback. So we bought out, I think it was about a year later, um, almost a year later, we bought out all of our crowd, our equity crowdfunders at a positive return on investment. I think like 150% on it was, what yeah. we put in. Um, and like 99% of people are just like, cool, we took the full, I think we're the first company, I could be wrong, Republic could confirm, I think we were the first startup to buy back. I um, almost guarantee that you are. Because they were, I think they were confused on how to help us with it. We're like, oh, let's figure it out together. But we, we did <laughs> buy out all of our equity crowd funders. There's a few people that are upset. I think most of them were upset because they didn't get their perks or they thought they were losing their perks. So maybe that was one of you, but like you get your perks, that was a forever given. and. I, this was in the market fallout was happening with the first few months of COVID. So like the markets yeah. tanked and we were providing a positive return on investment, which I always thought was a positive. I could sleep at night comfortably, but we had a few people, I think we ruffled their feathers, but I think they moved on. Um, so. I would hope so. I mean, like this is the part of this. There's, this is like such a complicated thing. Like I'm a huge proponent of, of crowdfunding, of, of reg CF, of fractional investing, of retail investing, of having access to private online deals. Like that's my jam. Like I got turned on to it when I did the deal with Ken and those guys way back when. And I still like, this was what makes me a bad front man for this. I'm like too honest about it. Like I still have like 20% of my mind is like, I am not happy with like the lack of sophistication and ownership that's being taken by the investors. Like I get it, you're not necessarily accredited or maybe you are, which I really don't think there's a difference between accredited and not when it comes to this thing. It's just like, are you attention to detail or are you not? Yeah. Um, I, I think it's like they're, they come in lazy on it and they don't read everything and they just think it's like shooting dice and then they, they get pissed when certain outcomes happen and it's like just because it's not done in a big office on Madison Avenue, like doesn't necessarily, you shouldn't take it any less serious. Yeah, it, it, it doesn't matter how big or small the investment is. I think your scrutiny of the investment should remain the same. Scrutiny or opportunity, right? If the company, if you feel like it has high growth potential, back it. If you feel like it doesn't, don't put your money there. Right. Like the, the non-accredited like crowdfunding investor, like you gotta remember like as a founder, I get told no every single day and it freaking hurts. It stings, yeah. we pitch 90 angels. Doesn't hurt that much anymore, I gotta tell you. <laughs> No, <laughs> I fired. I, I, I got to the point where it's like, oh, you're an idiot. Next. It 
No, it fires me up. I mean, like, look, I'm, I'm really, oh, I'm, yeah, actually, for sure. I'm grateful for a lot of those no's because it forces you to, to take the business or to pitch it slightly different. So it's like an adaptability on your, in, in your startup pitch. But, you know, we pitched 90 angels, 27 came in. We pitched 120 VCs for our seed round, six came in. It was brutal. Uh, series A, <clears throat> we started off with 45 pitches, ended up with three term sheets, moved forward with one. Series B, we did 22 or 23 pitches, term sheet came pretty quick. And then, but like collectively, we raised 33 million. It's still yep. just as hard to pitch at the later stage because now they're judging you on everything. It's hard, about this yeah. Pre show, they judge you on every detail about your business and does it make money or not? And if it doesn't, why are you spending time there? I totally get it. I mean, literally, if I could flip the camera around and I want to salvage what little bit of reputation I have left, there's <laughs> pictures of VCs who have said no to me that, you know, their profile from the website that I've printed off and effectively stapled to my wall. And I replaced on it, it says, name the one that got away. Most of them have this stupid anti-fund bullshit thing they do. Uh, yeah, yeah. And I've highlighted it, crossed it out, and put Songfinch on it for everyone who said no to me. So if you're listening to this and you've said no to my pitch in the last three to four weeks... Uh, you can know that your picture is firmly planted on the wall that I'm staring at right now. You got to have a chip on your shoulder. I, that that I, stuff fires me up, but it's the, like the, the letdown of like why you got told no, like I could care less at this point. Like you don't know my business and whatever. Um, yeah. I digress. This is a different part of the call, but the reality of this is like what I like about the crowdfunding pieces is it actually lets a person like me operate without having to be an LP, without taking, you know, I know Republic takes a small carry from, uh, from you, the founder, but not for me, it gives me the ability to have some areas. The part that, like I was saying before, 20% of me is still kind of pissed and like doesn't love where things go. The two parts I don't like, the sophistication of the investor is almost less about the investor and the risk that they're taking on by not being sophisticated. It's more the impact it has on the general um, exchange that's going on where they're not making founders accountable and founders feel like they can just slide whatever they want through and like throw whatever price tag on it they want and just raise freely because while that might be great for that founder over the 10 year period, this is not good for, for, for anyone um, mm -hmm. to, to have stuff like this. And so like when I, that's, I guess when I think of your business in particular, it's not a surprise uh, about you and how you're, how you manage company and, how experienced you are, and in fact, even just the details around the company you run. Like, it would not surprise me, of course, that you would be sophisticated. Um, I would expect that you would be. Um, yep. But the idea that you utilize the tool to its max to me was like a super flex, and I thought it was the shit. And like, I was one of those people who got the check back, and I thought the only thing I was pissed about is that I don't still have stock in your company. Um, but otherwise, I was like, this is fantastic. It did come at a good time for me. We had just had our first kid. Like, the timing was perfect. Um, you know, so I, I guess what I'm going with this is, it's like, I, I feel like there's a long way to go in the, like in the crowdfunding space. And I think it's kind of funny that you were so advanced because it was a couple of years ago and like, 2020, 2021, and 22 is where this online private investing kind of, like, hit its, its apex. Yeah. I'm curious for you, the decision to do crowdfunding in the first place. Because I have to feel like, like this is something else that won't get talked about by many people for a lot of reasons, mostly yeah. that they don't want people to talk about it. Yeah. Um, the, the reality is like many, many companies that have done crowdfunding have had a really hard time raising venture backed bucks later on, or at least any meaningful yeah. venture bucks. And there's yeah. a million reasons we don't need to get in here as to why, 
But I, I tend to think a lot of it is like they had a hard time raising early on for some serious reasons. And you could, some of it is about underestimated. And there's, there's like real reasons for some of them. And for other reasons, it's just like you weren't that mature as a business and a manager. Like you're just not a great operator. You had a hard time pitching it. Yeah. I, so this is my personal opinion and, and, and not one I, I represent the company. Say I would not do a crowdfund again. If it was a future company, I would, not do, I would stay away from equity crowdfunding. And Why is that? The lack of sophistication of the everyday retail investor does not, it doesn't translate as the company grows. Yep. So we had, I was, had more emails in my inbox about perks for codes and for t-shirts than I did about the business and its performance. And I thought right. that was baffling because the whole point, yes, we're trying to build a company and yes, people should have fun and get perks and swag. They were treating it like Kickstarter. It's That's not Kickstarter. Like we have built a company with nine figures in enterprise value at an eight figure revenue run rate and have 90 employees and we take care of 250-ish family members as a byproduct of our efforts and 350,000 customers. Like the path for us forward is to take the company public in a three to five year timeline. Like yeah. if you're that serious about the vision for the business and you're getting emails about t-shirts and like little things and like not anything that's like I, we have in our investor updates, which I've, we've sent out investor updates every month since Techstars late in uh, early 2018 and I have an asks section. And for the almost the full year, I had asks for the equity crowdfunders have sent out. Nobody helped. Yeah. Nobody helped. Well, the, the problem there is that for the most part, they don't know how to help. And they, they don't like, feel, like how, how committed do you feel when you drop a hundred bucks? Like, this is the weird thing. This is probably why I'm talking to you right. now still. Like, yeah. I'm the psycho who puts you're, a thousand you're bucks. You're, right. you're like the anomaly of- I'm the psycho who puts a thousand bucks in your company. And then for the next three years, likes every fucking post. Like, I know, you, you all of our social, everything. But I, but I actually do love it. Like, that's the thing. It's, yeah. I don't, I don't, you gave me my money back. So I have no reason to do this. Yeah. I, I thought this is a brilliant idea. This is a great operator. Mm -hmm. I was actually looking through the numbers that you were posting. I was looking at your fucking projections like, like a VC. Like I cared about how this was going to go. And I've learned since doing this, you know, I have 30,000 ish subscribers to my newsletter. Yeah. They are, all incredibly smart responses. I put the pitch, pitch reviews out. I get emails from people from all walks of life asking smart questions that you would have loved to get. The problem is it's only 30,000 and there's a million people that are, that are crowdfunding and they just don't yeah. care. And that- You gotta be a buyer of the product. I mean, that's, I think right. that's what it comes down to. So like I- Not because it's free, because you invested. Yeah, An actual yeah, buyer. This might, this might surprise you and even listeners. I've not done any angel investments and the companies that I would angel invest in are not, actively taking on capital. And, yep. you know, I take some of my friends from college who've started very successful e-commerce brands. Cuts Clothing is a friend, Stephen yep. Borelli, scaled to a huge business. 13 of my shirts, I think maybe more of my closet is Cuts. If yep. Stephen today said, Cody, I'm taking capital in, even though I think he's fully bootstrapped, I would be like, all right, I'm, I'm liquidating my 401k. Like I'll put whatever amount I can in your That's business. That's a safe bet on Cuts. Yeah. Yeah. And then, and then, um, I have some, uh, younger fraternity brothers. They started a hair product and skin line company called Haircraft Co. I was day one customer, still have the product in my hair three years into their business journey and can stand behind their products. And I haven't invested because they haven't taken on capital, but I think that's the, that's the thing is if you're going to back a company, if you can be a customer, cause sometimes it might be like B2B or enterprise, SaaS, sure. you couldn't be a customer, but 
if it's a consumer business, which we are, be a customer. And my ask for, I think for the full year is sign up, use the product, spam your network, spam your family, because if they use it and they have a shitty experience, I wanna know about it and you're an investor, you should tell me. I love when our investors, one of our board members gives us a lot of product feedback. I very much appreciate it. Because the, the stuff that hurts is the stuff that makes you stronger. Right. And then on the flip side though, is like if people have a great experience, now the word of mouth naturally benefits you and that's something that we weren't getting from it. Um, so that's why I said I speak for myself. I wouldn't do it again. I love that equity crowdfunding exists. Equity yep. crowdfunding is more equitable. It gives people a chance to participate in the upside of startups if they actually do hit it. Um, it's just risky, and it's, that's why it's an investment. I mean, you know, I, I, <laughs> this is going to sound crazy. I agree with you. This is like we, we are going to probably use Republic for Songfinch to make available shares to our you know, 100,000 plus customers and, you know, 2,000 artists or whatever. Mm-hmm. Like that's, it's very, if anyone else wants to invest in the platform, like really cool, but like, this is what it's for. Yeah. There's a reason I haven't used the tool for anything else I've done. And I've, I've, I've started other companies. Like I've gotten involved in a lot of companies. I, I just personally think if I was going to do it, I would do it the way that you did it. I, I, if I were you, I would do it again the way that you did it. Like when I look at... <clears throat> the problems that even Songfinch had as a result of how they raised the early dollars, mm-hmm. those could have been resolved. If it was equity crowdfunding and you had a buyback and you're like, look, you guys all came on for a ride. You did this. Like we raised 500,000. Mm-hmm. We're going to give you 1.25 million or 1.5 million back. And we're going to take the shares and we're going to sell them for 10 X yeah. to raise our series A or seed or whatever. Like we beat a better position. There's a unique, you know, it's, it sparks this idea that like if you if you built these communities, like if somebody was a community leader representing the equity, like I'm using a random yeah, example, yeah. the crowdfunding equity holders of Trust and Mall Republic's campaign, you could take the winnings, put it into an SPV and- Talking like your brother over here with the winnings. <laughs> refund, refund the investment. Because that's what, there's two examples that came to mind as you're sharing that. One is Twitter. So Twitter, Elon's trying to take Twitter public. I- I'm on these weird, I don't, you get on weird distribution lists when you grow, get to like growth stage and like hedge yeah. funds and funds of funds. There's like these like SPVs where like the minimum buy-in to get an investment position in Twitter as it gets taken private is like 250,000 yep. minimum check. Yep. That's a big amount of capital. And then collectively, yeah, you might have five, 10, $50 million that you now are a private investor in Twitter. And hopefully the upside of the Elon effect nets you a, right. a return on investment. And then I think back to uh, Jet.com, Mark Lore, who sold the yep. uh, Walmart for billions of dollars. My favorite thing that he had did was a referral campaign. I forget the guy's name. He did a referral campaign. The most, the person with the most referrals to Jet.com got equity in the company. And this guy got like 23,000 people to sign up. He just ran like a super smart marketing campaign on like Twitter and other social platforms. Whatever the equity position that he got from that, there's if you Google it, you'll see the link. If you're a listener, it's fascinating. He became like worth $30 million when they got acquired by Walmart. And I was like, this is off just like a hacky right. hack email marketing campaign for some equity. So if you're a believer in a product, you're going to do equity crowdfunding, do everything you can to support that company, like all their social media posts, be a customer if you can, help connect your network to the business because that only works in your favor if the company makes it big and that's we get that value from a lot of our vcs and even some folks that aren't on our cap table but are trying to be genuinely helpful and it 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 has to be mutual you give an investment but you should be giving more of your time and attention i i agree like i said before i think the challenge ends up being that how much time and are you going to get for 100 bucks you know like it just is that but like 
I'm also over here telling people that just because I'm shitting on crowdfunding right now, I'm like the biggest salesman of crowdfunding that there ever was, like literally. Yeah. So I think that this is going to be a huge part of the world. I actually just think that we're really, really early. It seems like we're like, it's been around for a long time and like, it's not going to take off. This is, this is nothing. Like where this really becomes interesting is like the reg A and reg A plus, and you start getting into secondaries where like, these are accredited investors. These are syndicates. These are people who like me now have the ability to actually make a larger check investment, write a, you know, a, a check with commas and like mm-hmm. get in place. This makes it easier for me than dealing with LPs and carries. It's changing the way the VC funds are operating. They don't think so. It is changing it. I think that crowdfunding on the early stage, friends and family, like whatever, it's the wild west, uh, you know, buyer beware. But yeah. I do think that there's companies like yours that are gonna come out and it might be pre-IPO. And you're like, hey, I don't wanna wait. I don't wanna lock up. I'm gonna go on Forger and I'm gonna put, you know, two or 3% of my stake and trust and will on the market. I'm not saying you would, cause I think you wear the shirt on a tattoo underneath that shirt. Um, <laughs> But like you can go unlisted and take a million bucks off the table or whatever, and and it'll be people like me who would buy it. It's not going to be someone who doesn't give a shit. You know what I mean? Yeah, you'll see. A Carta, Carta X is doing that with their secondary yeah. exchange. Right. Like Forge is, Forge is doing it for mostly institutional secondary, but Carta right. X, I think you have to be five hundred million valuation or greater, and they have a secondary platform for right. all the investors on there to, to buy. And in the check size, you don't have to write quite as large of, of a check to do it. But you right. can do the SPVs that you're talking about, which I think is super smart. I, I just think that this crowdfunding stuff is really like conditioning those who are smart and want to figure out how to utilize the tool will like I'm going to be my own one man VC. And it's yeah. funny you mentioned like rolling the money over what you did for me. I didn't take the money that you sent me in Republic and take it out and go buy shit with it. I literally turned around and put it in rocket dollar and then Alto. Yeah. And then I got another one that came back out and now I'm like the check size has gone from a couple hundred to 1,000, to 2,500, to 5,000, to 10,000, to 15,000, to 25,000, like over the period of four years. I'm just like, and I don't do a ton of them, Mm -hmm. but like, you know, Elemental Health is another one I really thought was good. I think FCF is more of a a random flyer that could be cool, but probably won't work. You know, there's a bunch of companies that are much better than they were when, even when you came in. Yeah. Um, I but I think it's going to get my, my comment earlier. Like I, I, I haven't done angel investing, but I had conviction on a lot of early crypto and yeah. this is before the crypto mania of this last year, but like I had a lot of early conviction in crypto, but I wanted to, I wanted to go deep on the research, read the white papers, look up the team. Where did they work before? Why are they working on this? Did you find Satoshi by chance? I'm looking for him you know, or her or her. He or she is still out there. Um, but like, it was so fun. I think the early days of crypto is just the community aspect. Like, yeah, these are sure. like, I've always been kind of a geek or self described geek. And you found these other self described geeks that like found something really unique and early on that we're trying to like, like obviously make some money off of it, but weren't trying to be predatory, which is what a lot of these shit altcoins ended up being. Yeah. Like, there's really good tech behind some of these projects that also creates upside on an investment perspective right. that I'm still interested in. And that's, that's where I can at least drop back to equity crowdfunding is like, do your research deeper than what's just on the Republic page. Go look at their LinkedIn, connect with them. You're allowed to, you can connect with these people on LinkedIn and Twitter and follow and see what they're posting about their I business. I do the same exact thing. Like yeah. that, I, but that, that's, I think again, that's you and I being a little different, right. like taking this to a, another level. On that last kind of question here with that, yeah. like talking about crypto, where's your conviction on that? Like currently, what are you, what are you thinking about? Um, Does it change market. at all? 
Uh, no, I'm 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 still so bullish on the space. I, I, you can't look at like a, a, a crypto winter. We've we've seen these cycles happen. Right. The underlying technologies that are being built, the teams, I mean, some of the smartest people in the world are working on this stuff, and that's that's a strong indicator that there's a long term future that we'll benefit from. And I think the short term is you know we're going to see uh, twelve months of, of of dark days on the financial investment side of it, but on the technology side, we're going to come out ten x stronger, and that'll create a lot of upside and good buying opportunities. So. Holding off on purchasing probably for another couple months, and then hopefully if inflation pulls down, pulls back a little bit, that'll create some good buying opportunities and get some good upside. Yeah, I, I feel the same way. It's been it's been a weird. I, I mean, I guess the numbers are higher, right? You get into the sixty thousands and down to twenty thousand versus you know nineteen thousand and eighteen or whatever it was. People take it a little different approach yeah, to it. But the idea of like the Bitcoin hit like 17.6 last week and I almost pulled the trigger and I held off because I was like, I think it'll come down to that again, if not a little lower. So that's why yeah. I think next month or two, it'll be a good buy. I just, I just was confused with some of the people where it's like, you guys are all bulls on Twitter. And then like, this isn't the first time. This is like, a, literally ICO is NFT folks. Yeah. Like that's what happened. Like yeah. there's, there was utility tech that was built in ICOs that, still lives today and is actually really important. And NFT will have the same. There was like, you may, may or may not care about your JPEG in down the road, but mm -hmm. I assure you that the utility that the JPEG represents will find itself into the next thing. Like this isn't new. No, and yet crypto, people the, are freaking the out. Crypto winter, it shakes out the sheep and lets the lions emerge from their, from this, the Serengeti. Like there's going to be some really big wins in the near future. I, I, I'm telling you, man, we're raising the series a for song finch and people are like, Oh my God, like it's Armageddon. And I'm like, not if you run a sound business. No, if you have good business, good fundamentals, and a good narrative. I mean, there's you have capital, you have a good business. Like, so I feel good about it. Yeah, totally. Uh, this is a blast, man. It's great to catch up with you. Always. Uh, is there anything that people should know about Trust and Will that we haven't covered yeah. that, that you think people need to do other than the obvious? Go and sign up. Yeah, I mean, in all seriousness, it's um, if you're if you're married with kids and you're listening, like if you haven't done this, it's not scary. Whether you do it with Trust and Mill or you go to LegalZoom or an attorney, just get it done. That's that's my ask is just get it done. It's not as hard as you think. And if you're younger, if you're not married, not kid, no kids that you know of, uh, go talk to your your family about. That's it. my talk joke. You just stole my joke. That's <laughs> yeah, that you know, yeah, we're all we're all young and 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 fun ones. We're uh, all young we, and silly ones. Yeah, once. But no, seriously, go, go talk to your family about it. It's not as uncomfortable as you think, and it, it's, it sparks a conversation that you've probably never had before. Does the estate, do your parents have an estate plan? If yes, is it updated? Where is it located? If they don't, have them kind of follow the same playbook. Go check out trustable.com or check out uh, an attorney's offering and just get it done. As a, a person with absolutely no stake in the game, I can attest that the process of something as quasi-complicated as putting together a trust or a will or anything of the sort on your mobile phone is simple. Like that's how good your product experience is. It's doing, you can do it on your phone. I'm going to take that sound bite for our, our product and design team and let them know that they're doing a good job. It's true. It's like, it's unbelievable. It's, it's, it's such a great product. So Cody, thank you so much. I hope to have you guys on again and talk, talk more about it and let me know when you guys have sold for eight gazillion billion. <laughs> Um, I appreciate it. For, and my... for, the listeners, for the listeners, yeah, please uh, drop me a follow on, on Twitter, LinkedIn, just to give some context that you listen to the podcast. Happy to be helpful in, in any way that I can. Just do it on LinkedIn. That's where you're going to catch him. Tell him. <laughs> this, guy, this, guy, this guy's got LinkedIn on lockdown. All right, Cody, thank you so much for taking the time. Thanks, brother. If you're interested in self-directed investing from startups to crypto and public markets, my Substack is a great way to learn how professional investors screen, review, and pull the trigger on deals. 
Join the largest community of micro-investors and startup founders on Substack by going to katoon.com.